0: Good morning and welcome to Bible Baptist Church online this morning. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us and for being a part of our service. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our series, The Master's Class, the people skills of Jesus. And so last week, uh, Pastor Holland uh, started off the series. And so if you haven't watched that message or listened to it, I encourage you to go back. It's on our uh, website. You can watch that and listen to it. And so uh, watch that first lesson. It's such an encouragement and a blessing. And we're going to continue that series today, looking at Jesus and the interactions of Jesus. And uh, Pastor Holland uh, opened up his, his message last week, telling us that he loves to people watch and i gotta say i too identify with that statement aloma and i my wife we love to people watch i gotta say that's one of the things about the pandemic that's not my favorite is masks make a little bit more difficult to people watch i can't 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 quite see the same uh, expression or the dynamics but I love when I'm out in public to kind of watch and try to guess who's who and, and what a person's dynamic is. Are they on a first date? Are they an old married couple? Uh, we love doing that. And uh, you know, sometimes though, people watching can go wrong. Uh, one time Aloma and I were out for a walk. We love to hike and, and to walk, and we were at Springwater, just over in Elmer, pretty close to here. And uh, we were doing a loop that kind of heads back towards the parking lot on the left there, and it it goes along the water. And up in front of us, uh, quite a little bit uh, ahead of us, But we could see them out of earshot for sure. There was another couple. They were walking together, and uh, they kind of made their way off the trail a little bit, up into a clearing right by the water. And I was kind of taking notice of this, and and I realized that this is looking to be some sort of a romantic moment. So I said to Lomas, "I think he's about to propose. I think this couple's about to uh, to get engaged." And we remember uh, only four years ago, at three at the time the story happened. We remember how exciting that was to to be engaged, to be married, and looking forward to that. And so what we decided was to take out our phones to record. Uh, It didn't look like there was anyone else around them, and perhaps they'd want uh, maybe a little stolen photo or a short video to remember this special moment. So we were just kind of privately taking a video and a photo that we could give to them later and and celebrate and help them to remember this awesome moment. And so the the guy got down on one knee and and proposed, and we kind of slowly crept forward trying to keep our distance. And it was pretty evident, though, that something was off. Something just wasn't right. You could see it in their body language. You could see it in the tears that were being shed and the awkwardness that filled the air. You could cut it with a knife. She said no. She said no and so needless to say alone and I deleted all the photos and videos off our phone and we awkwardly made our way past them as they stood or actually sat on a bench along the trail uh, just a weird amount of distance apart and he was trying to console her but you could tell things were not uh, right there was trouble in paradise and so sometimes people watching gets us into trouble. Uh, But today, we're going to people watch and look at the life of Jesus. Look at the master himself and see what we can learn about his people skills. Today, we're going to look at a famous interaction in scripture. And it's found in Matthew chapter 19. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19. And I'd like to read starting in verse 16. The Bible says this, Matthew 19 and verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master... What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Last week, Pastor Holland showed us an interaction with Jesus and the woman at the well. He shared and reminded us that Scripture teaches that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment with a woman at the well that he needed to keep. He had a a lady who needed him and an appointment to, to keep and to make, to to have that interaction, a conversation with her. But what we're going to notice in our story today is that uh, Jesus is not seeking out or going after uh, this interaction, but rather people are coming to him. All throughout this text that we're going to look at today, uh, different groups of people come to Jesus. And so this is not Jesus uh, seeking out a conversation, but in fact, someone else coming to him. And the man in this story that we just read who comes to Jesus We know a few things about him. His story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know that he's a young man. We know that he's a rich man who has great wealth and possessions. And we know that he's a ruler. He's uh, someone who has uh, some people under him. He's in charge. I kind of picture him in uh, today's vernacular of 2021. I picture him as kind of that young, that 30-something CEO uh, with great wealth and and a great business, a company, with people who work for him and employees. But he's a man who's realized that his success and his wealth in this life is not all there is. And so he's come to Jesus with a question. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have or inherit eternal life? He's looking to get to heaven. And really what this this interaction here in, in Matthew 19 is, is it's a gospel conversation. Jesus is about to share the gospel with this man. And so I want to look at this interaction and learn, see what we can learn from the master. What people skills can we learn from Jesus as he responds to this young ruler's question? I want to notice today three lessons that we can learn from the master. The first lesson I believe we can learn from this text is the lesson of total availability. The lesson of total availability. If you go back to verse number one of Matthew chapter 19, the Bible says that it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. The Bible teaches us that Jesus has been traveling. He has been up in Galilee in the northern uh, part, and he's traveling south past the Jordan River to beyond the coast of Judea. Now, it's easy for us to read these uh, geography or these uh, traveling descriptions in the Bible and kind of gloss over uh, their magnitude or their importance. Okay, one verse, Jesus uh, traveled. He departed from Galilee and he went to the coast of Judea. But this is no small feat. This is no small journey. This is a journey that would probably have taken him five, six, seven days on foot. He's been traveling with his disciples and his entourage. No doubt a a physically exhausting journey when he comes to this point in our story. He's experiencing some physical fatigue. But I want you to notice in verse number two that he's not just traveling alone or with his group of disciples. But verse two tells us that great multitudes followed him. And so not only is he on this physically taxing journey, but he has a multitude of people following him. I don't know if they followed him the whole journey or if it was a snowball effect, people begin to follow him. But the Bible makes it clear that there's a great multitude of people who are following Jesus. Notice what else uh, the Bible teaches us. When he gets to the place he's going, the Bible says in verse 3 that he healed them there. And so this great multitude is following him and he's physically exhausted. And when he gets to the place he's going, he spends time to heal them of their sicknesses and diseases. He's waging spiritual battle over sickness and disease. And now not only is he physically fatigued or exhausted, but he's spiritually fatigued. The passage continues on and teaches us that after his traveling and his healing and dealing with the multitudes and the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, they come to Jesus in verse number three. And the Bible says this, they came unto him, tempting him. Now, Jesus was known and universally accepted as a good teacher. Many believed him to be the Messiah. Some at the time did not, but all knew that he was a good rabbi, a Bible teacher, and many times the Pharisees would come unto him and try to test him or tempt him or trip him up, bring to him some of the more difficult passages of the law to understand or the difficult, difficult rules or inconsistencies and try to get him to stumble or make a mistake. And so after all this travel and all the multitudes and all the healing, now he enters into a mental debate with the religious leaders of the day. They're trying to debate with Jesus and causing him to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. He's dealing with mental fatigue. After dealing with the debate of the Pharisees, now we see a famous, uh, a famous passage in Scripture, a famous story in Scripture that uh, the people who are there gathered try to bring their children to Jesus. Now, oftentimes when I think of this story, I think of maybe uh, five or ten children. But the best I understand, there's still a multitude of people, a great multitude of people, who are now bringing their children to Jesus. So he doesn't just have a multitude of people, but he's got a multitude of children who are trying to make his, their way toward him. His disciples try to run some interference and say, hey, no, 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 you know, he's tired, he's had a long day, everything like that. But Jesus has a famous line where he says, suffer the little children to come unto me. And Jesus prays over the children and spends time with the children. And so we see that Jesus has had a pretty crazy week and a pretty crazy day. There's physical exhaustion and fatigue. There's spiritual fatigue from praying and from healing and from encouraging and from helping. There's mental fatigue from uh, debating and battling with the Pharisees. There's no doubt some emotional fatigue going on as well. But after all of this, the traveling, the healing, the debating, the praying... Then the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, what good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? Despite the craziness and the circumstances of his schedule, we see that Jesus is totally available to all the people and all the groups of people here in this text. And notice that Jesus makes himself equally available to all, no matter of their status or place in society. He's equally ready to heal the multitude as he is to debate with the Pharisees. And he's equally ready to pray for the children as he is to speak with the rich young ruler. No matter of their status, no matter of their place in society, no matter of their uh, supposed worth, Jesus is available to all to pray, to teach, to encourage, to debate, to answer. He makes himself totally available in all times in all circumstances to all people. I wonder, as we look at the life of Jesus, how many times we've allowed a busy week at work to be the reason we haven't stopped to have a gospel conversation with our coworker. It's Friday and the week's been crazy and it's 4 55 and you're trying to get out of your desk and head home for the weekend and you know your coworker's been struggling with something and going through a difficult time and you sense that they long to have some uh, encouragement or you sense that they need a friend and we're so quick to rush by them in the busyness of life, in the busyness of schedule, and seemingly turn our, cl- our sign to close like a business at the end of the day. We're not available. We're not open for conversation. We're not available to help and to heal and to pray and to encourage and to share the gospel with those around us. How many people around us are looking for conversations that we're just not available to? Pastor Holland challenged us last week with this thought that Jesus engaged his culture, he didn't ignore the culture. And I believe sometimes we move through our life at such a pace and such a hectic schedule that we miss out on all the opportunities we have among us or around us to be an encouragement and to be a blessing. How many gospel conversations have we literally walked by this week because we were not available to have them? How many times have we avoided our neighbor because we didn't have it in us to love and to encourage and to pray? How many times have we gotten home from work and lashed out at our loved ones because of the crazy day and the crazy week we've just had, not showing love and encouragement and and time and availability to those who need us most? What a lesson in people skills that we can learn from the master today that he was totally available. All of you come in contact with people every week, people that I will never meet, that I don't know, people who need someone, People who are looking for a friend, for encouragement, for help, for healing. People who need someone to share them the gospel. And maybe this week, we could learn from Jesus to make ourselves available in our lives to those who need us most. Perhaps even those who society would deem as unimportant or lowly. We have a chance to make an impact. Will we live in a way that we are totally aware and totally available to those around us, and to those who need us most. We see the lesson of total availability. Secondly, I'd like us to see the lesson of a thoughtful answer. Jesus teaches us this lesson. I want you to take notice of Jesus' response to the rich young ruler's question. Look with me in verse number 17. The question is, in verse 16, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Verse 17, the Bible says this, and he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus' first and initial response to the rich young ruler was this simple question Why callest thou me good? One thing you'll learn if you study Jesus and his ministry and his interactions with people all throughout the four Gospels is that Jesus is a master at utilizing a good question. He uses questions all throughout his ministry. Many times even, like in this story, he responds to a question with a question of his own. Jesus would use questions in his teaching to drive home a point. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus is teaching his followers that you could gain everything in life, the money, the, the, the success, the fame, the wealth, and if you lose your soul, it's of no value to you. What a powerful question. Think of John chapter 6. Jesus uses a question to test his disciples. This is the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. John 6 and verse 5, the Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. All this, ga- this multitude has gathered to hear Jesus preach, and there's no food, and Jesus knows he's about to do a miracle with just five loaves and two fishes with a a young lad's lunch. About to feed thousands and thousands of people. But knowing what he's going to do, he tests the faith of his disciples, specifically Philip, and says, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Jesus would use questions to test the faith of his followers. Sometimes Jesus used questions to correct or to rebuke others who had false thinking or beliefs. In Matthew chapter 21, in verse 14, the Bible says this, And the blind and the lame came unto him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Here's what happens in this story. Jesus is healing the blind in the temple and the children and those who are watching him and there's the the religious leaders are there and others are watching him and the children who are watching him heal the blind are praising God and claiming for him to be the messiah the religious leaders think that he is promoting blasphemy calling himself the messiah and allowing others to call him the messiah children no doubt And Jesus responds to them with a powerful question, rebuking and correcting their thinking. He says, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Jesus is quoting back to Psalm chapter 80 saying, Hey, haven't you read the law? Don't you know what the psalmist said would happen? That out of the mouth of children I would be praised. I'm exactly who I said I am. I am the Messiah. This is exactly what the word of God has promised. Haven't you ever read it? Wow, what a challenging and convicting question. And here in our story, Jesus doesn't necessarily use this question to teach or to test or to correct. But I believe he uses this question to convict and to challenge. Notice that the rich young ruler comes to Jesus with some preconceived notions and ideas. Just in his question to Jesus, we can figure this out. He says, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So two quick things we can learn. Number one, he believes that Jesus is a good master, a good teacher, a good man. We don't know why he believes that, but he makes it very clear in his question. And Jesus knows this. That's why he says, why callest thou me good? And secondly, he believes that, through good things and good works, he can inherit eternal life. These are two things that this man is bringing to the conversation. This simple question by Jesus is opening the conversation, the door for conversation, yet convicting and challenging the beliefs of this young ruler. Why does he believe that Jesus is good? There's only one good, and that is God. Is he, maybe even subconsciously, admitting that Jesus is the Messiah and is the God who is good and worthy to be served? Does he believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And if he believes that Jesus is good and therefore God, then what does he believe about how he can get to heaven? If Jesus is God, then shouldn't he listen to what Jesus says about eternal life and not what he believes about good works and earning his way there? This simple question would no doubt challenge the rich young ruler to consider and possibly change his thinking. Warren Berger, in his book, A More Beautiful Question, said this, A beautiful question is an, ambition, an ambitious yet actionable question that can begin to shift the way we perceive or think about something, and that might serve as a catalyst to bring about change. I believe this is the kind of beautiful question that Jesus is masterfully asking A question that can convict and challenge and can be used to bring about change in this rich young ruler's life. There's power in a great question. And Jesus is the master of a thoughtful answer. How many times have we had a conversation, have you had a conversation with someone, when they've come to you with their preconceived ideas? They've come to you with their side of the story. With something that they heard about your church with something that they know that Christians all believe, or something that you do which is hypocritical. We're so quick to defend and to rebuke and to inform. But Jesus is quick to turn and ask a question, to open the door of conversation, to convict and to challenge their logic and their thinking. Perhaps next time when given an opportunity, we can learn from Jesus the power of a thoughtful answer. Instead of looking to refute or defend against a claim that you didn't make, ask somebody a question about how they came to that conclusion. That's what Jesus does. Why callest thou me good? No doubt you'll open a door for conversation, challenge their thinking. It's been said this, that accusations harden the will, but questions stir the conscience. So perhaps today we can learn the people skill, the lesson from Jesus of a thoughtful answer and the power of a well-timed question opening doors for gospel conversations all around us if we're available so number one we see the lesson of total availability number two the lesson of a thoughtful answer and lastly i'd like us to see this morning the lesson of speaking truth always oftentimes when it comes to sharing the gospel with others and having gospel conversations which we're commanded to do to share the gospel We kind of think of uh, these interactions in terms of wins and losses. You know, we think, oh, that was a win, a successful uh, conversation. The person realized their need for Jesus and accepted Christ as their Savior. And we think sometimes of losses. Well, they didn't get saved. They didn't realize their need of the Savior. But maybe we'll have another opportunity, right? I want you to notice uh, the outcome of our story here. Look at verse number 21 of our passage together. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This story does not have a, a storybook or a fairy tale ending. In fact, the young ruler leaves his his conversation, his interaction with Jesus, sorrowing, grieving, sad. This is not what we would think of normally as a win. I would think of a win like, man, uh, he, Jesus said, come and follow me. And the rich young ruler forsook his, wit, his riches and his wealth and gave it all up to follow Jesus. And he left with joy and peace and eternal life. And then like the woman at the well last week, he went and told all his friends and his family, come and see a man, come and see the man who gave me eternal life and shared the message of the gospel with everyone. To me, I'm like, That's a win. But that's not the outcome we have in the story. We have a young, rich man who leaves Jesus sorrowing. I want you to notice that, we have, that though we have no biblical record of this man coming to Jesus, we do have clear explanation that the truth of the gospel has been shared with him. I think we need to change our perspective of what a successful conversation is Sometimes. We don't know that this man ever accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior. I would guess from the way he left this interaction, he he maybe never does. But Jesus was faithful to share the truth with him and plainly share the truth. He shares the truth of the gospel here in such a unique way. You know, I'm thinking if I put myself in Jesus' shoes and someone comes to me and says, you know, Levi, what must I do to be saved? How can I have eternal life and salvation and a home in heaven? I'm launching into what you may know as the Romans road. Admit that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus died for you and call on him to save you. That's true and right, but Jesus does not respond that way. Look at verse number 17. Jesus says at the end of the verse there, But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. The ruler asks him, uh, which of the commandments? And Jesus starts to list them off. Uh, No murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. He goes on and the young man says, hey, all of these I've kept from my youth up. I've followed all the commandments. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Can I have eternal life? And Jesus says something very challenging and, and strange in verse 21. If thou be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now at first glance, this seems to go against everything the Bible teaches about salvation. Is the way to heaven to follow all of the commandments perfectly and earn our way to heaven? No. Is a a prerequisite to eternal life in heaven that we must sell all of our worldly possessions, give it to God, and follow Jesus? No. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's using the truth to identify and to convict and to to unearth an idol in this man's life. It's amazing, and I think it's quite fascinating, that we never know this man's name. I'm not up here telling you the story about James, the rich young ruler, or Joseph, the rich young ruler. I'm just calling him the rich young ruler because it's all we know. We know that his whole identity, from the best that we understand, to the people around him, was in the fact that he was young, rich, successful, in charge, this is all about, this is all we know about who this guy is. This is how he identifies himself and how others identified him. And Jesus knew that this man had a heart problem. His identity and worth and value was founded in his own goodness, his own riches, his own success. Until he was ready to stop relying on himself and turn wholly to Jesus, he could not be saved. Jesus knew that those self-relying things, his wealth and his riches, were obstacles that he was not willing to give up. Until he was willing to turn from trusting in his self and turn to trusting in God, he could not be saved. Jesus speaks the truth plainly to reveal that this man had an idol of self and self-reliance in his life. And notice that Jesus is boldly challenging not just a child, but he's challenging uh, one of society's elite, a rich, successful, young man, telling him, until you give up and stop relying on yourself, you cannot have eternal life. This is the reality of the Bible. You cannot earn your way to salvation. You must put your faith completely in Jesus. We can learn from Jesus in this story that we all have a responsibility to speak truth. Sometimes it's easier to do and sometimes it's harder. But Ephesians 4 tells us that we're to speak the truth. But it also tells us that we're to speak the truth in love or to speak the truth lovingly. We're to follow Jesus' example and being perfectly balanced between truth and grace. Pastor Yeomans challenged us a few weeks about that idea and, and gave us the thought that sometimes we think we need to sacrifice truth in order to be gracious to people. And sometimes we think if we're going to speak the truth, then we have to sacrifice grace and do it harshly. But in order to live and to be like Jesus and to treat others like Jesus, we have to find a balance between truth and grace. Speaking the truth in love. And that's what Jesus did. Don't leave here saying, oh, Levi told us that we should speak the truth and that others will leave our our conversations sorrowing. And that's the goal. Just be like Jesus. Make everyone else around us sad and offended and discouraged. That's not what I'm trying to tell you today. But I am trying to tell you that we have a responsibility to speak the truth always. Even when it's difficult. There's, there needs to be great wisdom and great discernment and great wrestling and great prayer when we speak the truth with others. We need the right time. We need to have the right spirit. We must have the right relationship. There's all kinds of factors. We, might ha- we must do it with love and grace and wisdom, and discernment, but we are to speak truth. Sometimes truth is hard to hear. Sometimes truth is hard to share, especially with those who we love and are closest with us, because the truth divides, and the truth offends, and the truth leaves a young man in this story going home sorrowful. We should share the truth with all of those who we come in contact with, the children who maybe are lowly in society and society's very best. All of, us, all of them need the truth of God's word. And so we see the three lessons that we can learn from the master when it comes to people skills today. Number one, the lesson of total availability, making ourselves available to those that are around us. Number two, the lesson of a thoughtful answer. And number three, the lesson of speaking the truth Always. As I close, I want to spend just a minute looking at this main idea of the passage, the truth that Jesus has been sharing with this rich young ruler. For our series, we've been looking specifically at the people skills of Jesus and what we can learn from his interactions with others. But the main idea of this text, I believe, is very clear and very simple there is nothing you can do to earn salvation. Heaven is not something that you can earn on your own, and self-reliance is not the way to heaven. For this man, he was relying on his own ability, his own resources, his own wealth, and his own good works to get his way to heaven. Perhaps you're watching this morning and listening, and you're trusting in your own good works to one day gain you entrance to heaven and to eternal life. Hoping that your good in this life will one day outweigh your bad. Hoping that your finances can somehow earn your way into uh, heaven or eternal life. Hoping that your baptism or your church attendance or your consistency in, in religion will earn you passage there. Hoping that the kindness that you've shown to others will one day be shown to you. And I must Use the example of Jesus and share the truth of this passage with you. Only Jesus saves. He says this in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If today you're trusting in anything other than Jesus and his finished work on the cross for your home in heaven and your eternal salvation, then you're trusting in the wrong thing. Today, you can be saved. God wants you to be saved, but you must turn from your self-reliance and turn to trusting only in God. The invitation is open. You notice that even Jesus, though he speaks truth, he still leaves an open door and a welcoming invitation to this rich young man. He says, hey, go sell all that you have. Turn from your self-reliance. Turn from trusting in yourself and come follow me. He gives this man an invitation to come. But we can only come to Christ when we turn from trusting in ourselves and trust wholly in God. You can be saved today. You can get eternal life just like this rich young man, this young ruler was looking for. But you must put your faith in Jesus and him alone. And perhaps today, that's a decision that you need to make. Christian, if you're listening this morning, what lesson do you need to learn from the master? Perhaps a lesson in availability not living your life in a way and at a pace where you're closed off to the people who need you the most, looking for opportunities and making yourself available for those who need help and healing and encouragement and those who need the gospel to be shared to them. Jesus, in the midst of a crazy schedule, was totally available to every person who needed him. I wonder if you will be this week. Maybe you can learn the lesson of a thoughtful answer. Go through, I challenge you, study the life of Jesus and his ministry in the Gospels and look at how he uses questions. Perhaps the next time someone comes to you with a preconceived idea and and, and, uh, wants to uh, tell you what you believe or tell you what they think you believe or talk about your church or your religion or your faith, maybe you'll be slower to refute or to uh, defend and you'll be quicker to ask a question, to open a door, to convict and to challenge. Remember, the questions stir the conscience. And maybe you need to learn the lesson to be committed to speaking truth. It can be difficult, and it takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment and a good spirit, but we as Christians should commit to sharing truth with those around us in every conversation. And so I hope one of these things will be a challenge and a help to you. Let's pray, and I pray that you'll make a decision based on God's word this morning. Father, thank you for this passage, and thank you for what we can learn from. And I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who's trusting in themselves, and perhaps you've spoken to their heart this morning and they realize that they were trusting in their own wealth or their own good works or their own abilities or their own righteousness to get them into heaven, I pray you'd help them to know that you are the only way. I pray that today they would make a choice to follow you, to turn from self and turn to you. And God, I pray that for those of us who are your followers, I pray we would learn some lessons some people skills about how to be available, how to interact and to talk and how to have conversations with others and how to commit to speaking the truth. Would you speak to our hearts and would you change us today because of this uh, passage? And we'll thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.